Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton and Kathy Mara Robertson with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Kathy, how are we doing? Doing great. How are you doing, Scott? We're doing wonderful. And it is so nice to have you back on the show as a, as a, a guest host. I tell you. Thank you for inviting me. This is fun. I enjoy it. We had a, a wonderful time last time. Say we were talking more transportation and freight. And today we're going to talk about the wide world of e-commerce and retail and su sustainability and returns. Yay! Yes. <laughs> so, hey, you know, also, Kathy, beyond our conversations together, which I always enjoy, you're such a great follow on Twitter. And beyond all the industry analysis, you take your, your hikes and the pictures you share. It's like a breath of fresh air. And, and we don't say that often about Twitter, do we, Kathy? No, no, there's, there's all kind of stuff out there. <laughs> It sure is. Well, we've got a ton to get through over the next hour. We're going to be talking about BFCM. Yes, new acronym, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. If you're slow like I am, we'll have to add that acronym to the list, right? Now, we're going to be talking about the upcoming returns tidal wave, including some recent research from Kathy and the Reverse Logistics Association team. We've got a heck of a rock and roll star joining us here momentarily as we have Guy Courta with uh, Texas uh, joining us here in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking about how all of the return season, and really all of e-commerce, how that impacts sustainability efforts moving forward. So, Kathy, we've got a full plate, huh? Definitely, definitely. I am looking forward to hearing from Guy. We are, too. We are, too. But, folks, hey, buckle up, get ready, because we want to hear from you as well. So let us know what you're thinking as we work our way through the conversation here today, we'll be sharing that with Guy and Kathy and really the rest of everybody in the skyboxes. So let's do this, Kathy. Are you ready to go today on this gorgeous Tuesday morning here in Metro Atlanta? Actually, it's a great day to go hiking, but no. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Let's all do right. It. Well, really quick before I bring in Guy, I want to I want to point out what, what we're all thinking. Alice and Alice hope this finds you well. I'm glad you explained what BFCM was. I was making stuff up in my head and none of it was close. Well, great to have you here, Allison. And also, Peter Bolay, all night and all day, is here. He says he's Cyber monday on Tuesday, got 50% off a car cover for his Mustang. Wow. So he's officially putting, putting, I guess, his shopping to bed today. So great to see you here, Peter. And you know this gentleman here, don't you, Kathy? Yes. Hey, Tony. So great to have Tony Schroeder, the one and only, here with us, the fearless leader of the RLA. Great to have a couple of industry thought leaders on Supply Chain Now here today. Thanks so much for joining, Tony. And one final shout out. Hey, Ken Armstrong is tuned in via LinkedIn here in East Tennessee listening. How about that, Kathy? Oh, lucky you, Ken. That paints a nice <laughs> picture, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> so, again, you're going to have to send us a picture of the Tennessee mountains, maybe. But, hey, with no further ado, Kathy, let's go ahead and bring on our special guest here today, Guy Courtois, Vice President and Industry Principal for Retail with Texas. 
Gee, good morning. How you doing? Hey, Scott, Kathy, how are you guys? We are doing wonderful. Were your ears burning a little bit? Uh, just a little bit, but it's all good stuff. Right? <laughs> it really is. You know, what's really cool here at Supply Chain Now is we love our repeat guests. And as I mentioned pre-show, Kathy and Gee are two of our faves here. And we've got quite the conversation we're going to be working through. But Gee and Kathy, before we do, you know, I mentioned to Kathy how we have a full plate over the next hour, and we do. But that analogy packs a little bit more punch this time of year as we have Thanksgiving, right? We're on the heels of Thanksgiving. So I want to put both of y'all on the spot and talk food for just a second. And uh, Guy, I want to start with you. So on the heels of Thanksgiving, now you're, you got a little travel this week, but but last week as we were enjoying family and food and football and many other things, what was one favorite dish that you want to share with us? Sure. I, I, I'm going to cheat and go with two, but the first one is, is you know, of course, she probably isn't listening, but my mother made a really good nut wasn't a turkey. It was a bird. She made a, a stuffed duck, uh, which was fantastic, a little change. But the second plug and shout I'm going to give is uh, is my girlfriend. I actually bought some pies from a, a pie shop in Vermont called the Southern Pie Cafe. They had what they called a pie blitz last week. And she and I went and I, I tell you what, Sky Kathy, like talk about supply chain issues. We were waiting in line and as people were ordering, they're wiping, you know, the pies are available off the board. And we we're like, wow. Good. We got fantastic pies. Um, I will say my favorite was the uh, bourbon pecan pie, which uh, thankfully I only had one slice and left the rest with my cousin because otherwise I would eat the whole thing. Uh, but those are my two shout outs. Man, I love it. Are you making me hungry already? And hey, who doesn't love a wonderful bourbon pecan pie to finish off a meal? Kathy, I got to come to you. What's what's a dish you'd like to share with us? Well, okay. As you as you know, Scott, I was at, up in the mountains last week uh, for Thanksgiving, so we ended up ordering our Thanksgiving meal. But we had to make sure there were two important things. I'm going to cheat too, just like you. <laughs> two important things for our meal. The first is cornbread dressing. Got to mm. have the cornbread dressing done the right way. Yes. <laughs> and the second is um, pecan pie. Not bourbon pecan pie, but pecan pie pronounced correctly. <laughs> I always say it wrong. I just I just know how to eat it. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I know how to eat it. I love I miss my grandmother's pecan mm. pie more than anything else. So mm. so yeah. Well, that's some of the best parts. Each year with Thanksgiving, bringing family and food and, and old traditional but proven recipes and memories all together. So thank you all for humoring us and sharing. I want to share a couple of quick comments. Yes, this, I'm not sure who this LinkedIn user is, but thank you because when I say Texas, folks may be thinking of the state, but this is Texas, T-E-C-S-Y-S. -E and you can learn more at Texas, spelled that way, .com. Dave, and great to have you here. Tuned in from Canada via LinkedIn. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, a month and some change ago. I can't remember the, the date that we celebrate up in Canada. Uh, Charles Johnson's with us here today. Great to see you via LinkedIn. Thanks so much for joining. And finally, Maria is tuned in via LinkedIn from the Philippines. Thanks so much for joining here today. Amanda says, Kathy, I'm a cornbread dressing girl too. My mom makes the best. I'll second that. All right. So in a foul, Midkiff is watching. <laughs> we enjoyed our time there with the Midkiff household and, of course, with uh, Lee Luton and the Luton household, too. All right, folks, we have a lot of stuff to get into, Kathy and Gia. I wish we could talk food, or, uh, nothing but food over the next hour. we got to get into some heavy lifting. So um, I want to talk, I want to throw a question out there 
maybe a thought provoking question a bit, uh, but just to get the conversation going, you know, BFCN, that's, that's the, where we are here today. Now, Black Friday from last week was uh, about $8.9 billion in spending this year, which was a little bit down from 2020, but perhaps as important, you know, foot traffic in these stores. And we're going to talk about experiential retail down the road a little bit. Uh, foot traffic is still way off pace from two years ago, 2019. But the good news is it is up from 2020 as we continue to make gains to get back into some sense of normalcy. So the question I'll pose to you first here, Guy, is Black Friday dead? You know, it's a great question. Is Black Friday itself dead? I would say the way we believe or the way we looked at it before is dead. What I mean by that is, do we need to look at it as a day or as a whole month or as a whole season almost? Same as Cyber Monday. You know, I think it's interesting when we look back uh, to the evolution of Black Friday, and I did some research on this, which was actually really eye-opening how it evolved as a term. You know, first it was considered uh, a Black Friday because everybody uh, called it sick on that day because they wanted a four-day weekend. Uh, and then it sort of evolved. And then I think it was uh, some publication, Washington Post or someone who who deemed it, you know, a, a, a something around retail, around getting back into black for, for, their, for their numbers. Right. But Meaning profit, was- right? Meaning profit, exactly, yeah. right? Because because it's still, and this is still true, where you see, I think something, there's some survey in the Wall Street Journal, like 70% of retailers still believe that they make the majority of their revenue, you know, the last 30 to 40 days of the year, which again, for all of us who are in sales, we kind of know that that cycle anyways as well. But I think the term is, is it's not dead in the sense that we're still going to have Black Friday, we're still going to have Cyber Monday. But I think what we're seeing is that we're extending that time to really capture much more uh, of the revenue of the mindshare that's out there. And I think that's from that perspective, I think it's dead where I don't believe we're going to see a, a massive spikes in that one day. It's going to be more spread out over, over, you know, a 30, 40, 60 day time horizon. So from that perspective, uh, is it dead? No, but is the, it's evolving. It has changed. It, we should call it maybe, uh, what is it? Uh, BFCM month. <laughs> Maybe that's more the term to look at now. Right, right. That's a great thought. All right, Kathy, I'm coming to you next, but really quick, I want to share. Allison says, now I want pie. Thanks, y'all, so much. And David, second Monday of October for Canadian Thanksgiving. Thank you for that, David and Allison. Great to have you both, as always. Okay, same question, Kathy. Your thoughts around, is Black Friday dead? I'll go out on a limb and say, yes, it is dead. And I think Cyber Monday is dead too, simply because the growth of e-commerce. I mean, e-commerce has been growing uh, even pre-COVID. And I think that combined with omni-channel strategies, I think you're uh, going to see more waves and and, uh, valleys throughout the entire year. I think now, this is just my thoughts. And, and you know, and I read a few articles uh, sure. prior to this was um, the reason why there was a decline, that slight decline on Friday and on Monday, inventory issues. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of inventory out there. And plus the fact that so many retailers have been, um, particularly since COVID hit, has been really doing less promotions, less uh, clearance sales. Yeah, I, mm. I noticed that when I go visit Marshalls and uh, Macy's and such. It's like, right. where's the clearance racks? They're not there. And I just kind of think we've been heading this way and COVID and the whole 
schmill of all of that has just exasperated it. Right. I'm with you. Really quick, Vince tuned in from Atlanta via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. And Allison agrees with you, Kathy. She says, I agree that I think the past 20 months have caused one month to bleed into another. <laughs> Time is a weird thing these days. That's a great, great phrase. Uh, that uh, is. Comment there. That's good. And Peter, Peter, who's posted a, um, I'll call it an overture from email. Yes. Reply to Mr. Lazar. Yes. Let's all have some fun with that. So Peter, great to have you here. All right. So Guy, I want to pose just a couple numbers as we continue yep. on Cyber Monday before we get into returns. So Cyber Monday sales also dropped 1.4% this year from last year. I think it came in about $10.7 billion. And that was the first time that Cyber Monday sales have ever fallen, right? So not that Cyber Monday has been around 100 years or anything, but, and by the way, I loved your historical take on Black Friday. That's really important perspective these days. But your take, Cyber Monday versus Black Friday, kind of in the, in the greater scheme of things. Yeah, and I, I want to mirror what Kathy just brought up too, which is spot on, right? If, if let's go back in the in the history, you know, time time machine here, you know, why was Cyber Monday a name, right? And like you said, it's not been around 100 years. I mean, it's been around maybe 15 years, you know, and, and for some of our listeners, they might be like, when I say this, they might be like, what are you talking about? You know, I remember <laughs> when I when I started my career and I worked at Forrester Research and, you know, we we had high speed access, we covered the internet, but I remember, you know, I go home and I do this thing called dial up, right? And a lot of us who are old enough to remember that, you'd have that very strange noise and go weird and then you'd connect <laughs> and then miracle, you could get your email but heaven forbid you want to try to surf the web or look at any, you know, now there wasn't a lot of video or, or highly graphical intensive stuff out there yet, but still it, it was sort of a, a block, if you will, to do much more than email or read an article. So of course, Cyber Monday came. Why? Because I remember when I worked at Forrester, right? We were in the office, we had a T1 line coming in, we had high speed access, not around Cyber Monday as much, but for us, and again, I'm going to date myself, but we all went to the office to, to go download stuff on Napster. Why? Because I could download all these songs super fast. So it was great. So, so you know, that was the motivator for, for Cyber, for this notion of Cyber Monday. But to Kathy's point, and I think all of us, right, all of us listening, we're carrying a supercomputer in our pockets, whether it's an Android or an iPhone. And then guess what? We've got 24-7 unfeathered access to this thing called the Internet. And now we can get videos. We can do shopping. You know, anytime. Kathy, anytime. Yeah. Right. And I think, Kathy, you talked about something really interesting, which was, you know, again, dating ourselves, but going back. And I remember watching, you know, late night, those Ginsu knife commercials and all that. Well, <laughs> now that's sort of switched over to the social media world. Right. You, right. you scroll through Instagram or Twitter. All of a sudden you're given opportunities to transact. And now with things like Apple Pay and PayPal and Google Pay and all this, the ability to, to make the transaction via your phone becomes that much easier. Right. You're two or three clicks away with your credit card information, your bank information, your mailing information, right, to make that transaction. So this, this need to go into an office and to sort of leech onto the high-speed access that's there for you to do work and not shop or go to Napster is now gone away because we can do it 24-7. Right. Uh, and I think that's why this notion of Cyber Monday is going to go away. Now, I believe that retailers will continue to leverage the term to drive traffic, drive promotions, right? Drive, drive some demand. But I think they were going to get to this a little bit later. You know, that's artificial. And I think right. we're going to see more of these artificial demand driving events being created by retailers and brands. 
Excellent point. And, and of course, consumers can't do it 24-7 as long as the retailers have a platform and a technology to equip that that supply chain and its supply chain greatness, right? I know you're familiar with that, uh, Guy. All right, I want to share a couple quick comments. And then, Kathy, maybe I'll come to you for one last thought around Cyber Monday and Black Friday. And then we're going to move into returns, one of our favorite topics here. It's such a fascinating aspect of global business, really. Um, Diana... <laughs> Dial up, LOL. That, that's just a wonderful comment there. I love that, Diana. Peter says, yeah, AOL online. Oof, such memories. Allison says, good point, Geek. When being connected is already the norm, Cyber Monday may just be another day. And as a side note, that is an, as an avid online shopper, the Cyber Monday sales were weak this year. How about that? Um, David says, LOL, dial-up still lives. I just spent the last seven months on it. And let's see, Tiffany looks okay. It uh, looks like they're going back to the RLA.org, which we're going to touch on in just a second, where uh, you can join for free to uh, also download the report we're going about to dive into. That. One other comment I was going to share really quick. Oh, so Matuz, I believe this is. And if I get your name wrong, I apologize. Just shoot us a note. We'll get make sure we get it right. This is a great point. For me, Matus says, it feels like Black Friday is having its renaissance in all other countries other than the U.S. It's thousands of miles away, and every second commercial on TV or radio is about a Black Friday sale. And that's a good point, because as we talked about, Kathy and Guy, before today's session, you know, Singles Day, Diwali, Chinese New Year, El Buen Fin, which is a new one for me, which is based out in Mexico. There's a, so many more big-time shopping days other than BFCM. And I think that's an important perspective, especially as the world continues to be one big global business community, right? So Matus, thank you for this point. Kathy, your final word on BFCM, and then we're going to move into returns. I think he is right. With the Cyber Monday and such, honestly, every day is Cyber Monday now. True. Yeah, talking about the dial-up. Oh my gosh, you know, the whole, you've got mail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that feels like it was just yesterday. That, that was some 25, 30 years ago. That, that pains me in my heart. Kathy. Oh, I'll date both of you here. <laughs> I remember, you know, having to pay per the minute of being online. And so it was like, this was when I was in grad school, having to uh, structure your, your search query before you go online. Go online, run it real fast, get your information and link. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did that did date everybody. I think. Yeah. But things have changed. And thankfully, uh, <laughs> two quick comments here. Thank you. It's Matt. I always choose a harder path. Matt, thanks for being here today. Really appreciate that. And see, David shares, hey, don't forget the carrier capacity can't support a traditional BFCM sales campaign. The carriers forced retailers to ship earlier and often three to four years ago. If I recall, Black Friday started on a Monday and the month of November, the retailers and carriers have now forged a nice strategy to support capacity. Excellent point there. Gee. Sorry, but Scott, one, one last point. I think what Matt brought up, which I think is an excellent one, and what you said too, which I think all of us, and, and I will be the first to admit I'm very guilty of this, right? I, I was thinking a very you know, North America, if not US-centric mentality when it comes to this. But of course, globally, we have to look at this where you know, if you look at some of the big e-com players like in South America or in Europe, right, they're not named Amazon. Right. But I think what we have to separate, what Matt brings up, which is an interesting point, 
I think we have to separate Cyber Monday will never go away from a promotional marketing tool that retailers will use. I think what we have to continue to look at from a supply chain perspective is not what we're promoting out there or what we're saying in the marketing message. It's what's actually being transacted and what is then being fulfilled based on Cyber Monday behavior. And I think that's what we're looking at where the behavior can be spread out over a month or beyond. The marketing teams and all this are still going to run their crazy promotions, you know, doorbusters, you know, <laughs> wake up, you know, go wake up on Monday at, you know, 1201 a.m. to get that Cyber Monday deal. That I don't think will stop. But I right. think what we need to look at as supply chain professionals is more what are the actual transactions being done, which in a way, too, that's kind of secondary. The big one is what does actually need to be fulfilled? And I think the last point was great by the audience, which is what is the fulfillment schedule now needed to meet that new surge, if you will, of people making orders. And we need to separate the marketing from the fulfillment from that perspective. Excellent point, Guy. Excellent point and great perspective. And thank you for that, uh, David and uh, Noor. Noor Muhammad, great to have you here today as well. All right, so we're going to move right along. There's so much to dive into. I feel like we should have six hours here today. But I want to add this to, we're going to be talking about returns next, uh, Kathy and Guy. So, of course, as one season wraps here in December, the tidal wave of returns and maybe then some kicks off in late December and then certainly into January. So Kathy, of course you read, you lead research for the reverse logistics association, which just published the returns management index. And then some survey results. I think this is the first annual study, I believe, or maybe, maybe quarterly you'll, you'll, you'll correct me. I'm sure. So for starters and folks, you can download this at rla.org. Give us some key takeaways from this, this, this survey here. Yeah, you're right. It's a quarterly survey. And this is the first one uh, that we've done. And the next one will be coming out in early January. And that will cover Q4 and Q1. So what we're trying to do here is to build an index to measure by the number, the volume, as well as the cost of returns across all industries. And um, this first one was really, it, it started off already really interesting. We just asked four simple questions. The current situation, which is for, which was third quarter. Right. What were your, um, were your returns higher, lower, or the same in terms of uh, volume, as well as in terms of cost? And what do you expect the next quarter to be in terms of volumes and cost? Mm -hmm. Higher, lower, the same. And the results were really interesting because, yeah, everybody equates January as the month of returns. Well, returns never end throughout the entire year. Yeah, January is a big month, naturally, because of the holiday season. But the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways, it was kind of like a, huh, was that the third (laughs) quarter, only less than half, about 45% said that the number of returns increased. And I'm sitting there thinking, to me, I thought that was low. And, um, but then I got to thinking, well, duh, Kathy, it's the inventory issue, the whole inventory issue. There's nothing to return because customers aren't, you know, they're, they're keeping what they're buying. And uh, so that didn't come, that, that finally hit me, but the cost for third quarter definitely went up and mm-hmm. have several comments noting the higher supply chain costs, the higher freight costs, trucking, the ocean ports uh, situation, and so on. 
they are attributing that to that, to the higher cost. And for fourth quarter, guess what? <laughs> higher, higher cost, higher units. So that was not really a surprise. And also in this survey, we do ask five questions. We have a one-off question. That one-off question was asking folks if they outsource their reverse logistics or do they insource and over 70% keep it in-house, which I found fascinating. Right. I'm still learning this space. And because we've seen a rise of, of specialists, right? Specialist yeah. organizations that process so many returns, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I was going to ask Guy about that whole outsourcing. You know, please explain that one to me. <laughs> so, Guy, <laughs> way, way in there. And, you know, I feel like, Kathy, a lot of times, I feel like this with both of y'all, we could have a please explain it, Guy, hour on a regular basis with both Guy and Kathy. But all right, so Guy, weigh in on what some of the key takeaways you saw from the research and to what you're seeing from a, maybe outsourcing and just in general standpoint. Yeah, no, I I, I was, uh, I thought the this, this study was great. And I think it's a really, I, I'm very excited about you guys continue to do that too, Kathy. So I think it's good to have an index and to look at numbers. I think we all kind of have a sense of where returns are going, but putting the numbers behind it obviously makes it that much more stronger. And I think from that perspective, no surprise, right? Returns are going up. People continue to see them going up. Um, not surprised either that 70% are still doing it in-house. In and I think that will continue in my opinion, right? This is just my sense. Part of it is I think, you know, you know, there's, there's A, it is part of your brand, right? So I think there's a fear that if you let uh, someone else handle the returns process. Is it a good process? Does it go well? Um, you know, the way I always position it is when you think about returns, it's a lot of times a little bit of a negative. What I mean by that is, you know, you're giving something back that wasn't right. It didn't fit right. It was damaged. Um, and there's a little bit of a disappointment in that. So if I allow a third party to handle that, if they're not well trained, you know, do I, I'm going to sound really corny here, but if I turn, can I turn that frown into a smile or I turn it upside down, um, if if I can't, then all of a sudden I've lost that customer, right? That 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 customer value proposition kind of goes away. Having said that, I also, you know, I also think that as returns and the wave of returns are coming back are going to only increase. And, mm -hmm. you know, I look at places like Europe, right? Um, you know, I know like in Germany, you're looking at, you know, 40 to 50% return rates on apparel. Um, you know, they have a very different way of purchasing online and of paying, and that gives them much more flexibility from the consumer perspective to return products. You know, I look at here in the United States, um, you know, our good friends at Amazon, right? I mean, I, I am freely guilty of this, that I order probably way too much through them. Um, <laughs> but I also return a lot, and it, they've made it very easy to return products. Unpackaged, just bring it back, you know, the QR code, and off you go, and you have up to sometimes 90 days to return it. So I think at some point, right, this 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 oncoming tsunami of returns will force some of these companies to go out and to look at you know third parties to help them with the returns. And I think there's an opportunity there for whether it's a savvy 3PL or a dedicated return specialist to sell their services and to provide extremely high-end customer service uh, to taking back those returns and, and satisfying the customer. And then, right, and we'll get to this in a little bit, I think, is to understand, well, what do I do with the return? Right. Do I put it back into my supply chain? Do I recycle it? Do I break it down? Um, you know, there's a whole, there's, it's, you know, I'm dating myself again, right? Choose your own adventure books. I loved as a kid. This is the same thing in returns. 
right? <laughs> I get it, but there's multiple paths I can go by. Which one do I want to take? Which one's more profitable? Which one's more environmentally friendly? Yes. Right? There's a whole host of decisions to be made there. Right. And there's and, and some of the good news here is there's so many more options here in 2021 as opposed to maybe even five years ago. Kathy, you and I have chatted along with Tony and others in the reverse space. Unfortunately, so much, so much of it, and this is less and less the case, I believe, ended up in landfills, but we're finding new ways of, of getting it back on shelves or recycling or other disposition that's more friendly to the environment. Would you say, Kathy? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's startups in this space that's focusing on this whole re-commerce. Right. Um, which, is, which is great to see. Agreed. Everything it's out of that landfill. Yeah. And that re-commerce industry, to your point, is just blowing up. I can't remember the last number I saw in terms of, of, of just how burgeoning of an industry it is. I bet Tony will drop in the comments, so we'll see. <laughs> Speaking of the comments, let me share a couple, and then I want, I want to kind of talk more about return, sustainability, you know, the impact it's having on sustainability, and any other things we're seeing in that critical space when it comes to global business, but certainly global supply chain. Tony says, uh, hey, Black Friday used to mean people got in line at 5 a.m. for Super Lost Leader Specials. He did too. He's raised his hand there. Okay. Tony Hahn says consumers are more savvy. They are not fooled by the marketing promos anymore. Black Friday does not offer value for most. You can get better deals before and after BFCM. Tony, th first off, thanks for joining us. Secondly, that's a great point. I would argue to what Kathy and Key both have kind of alluded to, we have perhaps the smartest consumers with the most data at their finger point fingertips than ever before, right? So, yeah, we've got to make some adjustments to your point, Tony. And then let's see here. Matt, and thank you again, Matt. I'm trying not to cover up with you too long. Just to be sure, I asked that the data will also be divided into North America and Europe regions. Mm -hmm. From my work experience, I know that the markets and services are different as the target customers are different. Europe has many countries with an open market. And U.S. is on a first look, one market, but huge in its capacity, size, and expectations. Key call out for me. Let's get as many possible surveys to have a good understanding of the needs of both customers and companies. That's a great point. Kathy, you're nodding your head there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, he makes a great point. And that's something that we hope to get to with, um, with our surveys, uh, the more that respond to the surveys, the more that we'll be able to break out everything, uh, by industry, by, uh, hopefully break out, uh, Europe by countries. That right. would be awesome. It's, it's a, it's a startup, you know, you got to start somewhere and grow the universe of data. So I look forward to, uh, uh, where it goes from here. I, uh, just, Adam Polka is with us here today at one and only and Adam um, Gee, Adam's podcast is called the great supply chain podcast, right? Correct. All right. And as many of y'all may know, Gee is an OG as is maybe Adam in making uh, digital, great digital content around supply chain. So that's, that's reason number 982 that makes Gee a cool guy. But Hey, Adam says some more of Gee's thoughts on returns as an opportunity to turn that frown upside down. And he dropped a link in there to a Texas blog. So y'all check that out. One final comment. And then we're going to move and, and talk sustainability for a second. Charles says return volume will be up this year as a percentage of e-commerce grows as a percent of total retail sales. One big concern for many retailers will be the over inventory position due to product missing the seasonal sales window due to the supply chain delays. A little bit of the 
bullwhip effect is what Charles is speaking to there. So who knows? I think we'll all welcome days perhaps when we'll have bins and bins of bins of semiconductors. Maybe we'll see. All right. So, so much to talk about. So little time. Let's talk about sustainability and, and just get a couple of additional thoughts there. Guy, I'll stick with you as it relates to BFCM or as it relates to other things you're seeing, especially, you know, supply chain retail oriented, any additional thoughts around its impact on sustainability? Yeah. And I think it's something, you know, and I think we're one of the underlying themes that we're driving at here, which I think is related to sustainability too, is that our behavior as consumers now is sort of 365, right? We, we, I think some of the comments were, were well made talking about, we have constant access. There's no more, you know, being spiked by, you know, driving sales through BFMC. And I think what's that also is leading to when we talk about sustainability is sustainability. It's not, you know, we have to worry about it at the end of the year or certain parts. I think it's becoming a constant and it's also becoming to some, not a summary, but to a very big degree, um, a business proposition, I think for retail and brands, you know, I think a statistic I read is, you know, again, again, I apologize. This is North America. This is us centric, but you know, on average, uh, US, a, a person in the US throws away some like 80 pounds of textiles a year into landfills right mm. now. We don't each do it individually, but as a collective, you know, if we average it out. So when you think about that, we just, you, you mentioned it, Scott, right? Getting stuff out of landfills and you, t- you did too, Kathy, right? This whole notion of re-commercing, you know, it's still a big issue, right? And I saw another statistic and I, I'm going to botch this, so I apologize, but I think we <laughs> You know, we we produ- we buy stuff twice as quickly and we use it half as much, mm-hmm. right? So we're certainly, you know, I, I hate to say this, but if you ever look at my closet, you know, you can tell. You know, <laughs> my girlfriend will make fun of me about this because she and I fight over closet space, right? But that is the reality of of the world we live in, and I think sustainability is becoming. You know, and it's it, and there's kind of different phases, I think, when we look at this. And I look at it multiple phases. I look at, obviously, how we source product, right? How we manufacture, right? Levi's is a great example of trying to take water out of the process of making jeans. Right. Uh, how we move products. Uh, we want to be efficient, right? Make maximum truckloads, uh, use sustainable ways. Um, and then how we take products back, right? I think that's sort of the the, the, the last leg, which is, uh, okay, now all of a sudden we, we, we re-ingest products. Uh, how do we re-commerce them? How do we recycle them? And I look at folks like in the consumer electronics space. Now, part of it was driven by governments, right? The EU and the U.S. putting right. You know, well, there's some big differences there, right? Yeah, big differences. But you know, the ability of saying, "All right, you know, I, I, because hey, uh, you know, oh, my phone's only a year old. I need a new one." What? But we all <laughs> so. But what do I do with the old phone? Right? The old right. phone has a whole host of parts in it that I can't just throw in a landfill. It's going to be there. You know, beyond my kid and my grandkids' uh, lifetime, so that's that's something we all need to think about. Uh, and I think that's it's. I, I feel as if it's it's a very positive move. I just feel like there's a, there's a tremendous amount of work ahead of all of us, uh, both us from a solution and service pr- point of view, from the retailers, from the manufacturers, from the transportation and, and logistics players. Right, we we all play a part in this, uh, but I think we have to make it you know, so that it's a sustainable sustainability, right? Right. And and I think one of the things you mentioned there is, is as consumers, perhaps our greatest uh, challenge responsibility. I mean, we make, we make big that seem like little decisions every single day that impact uh, some of the challenges that you spoke to, Guy. I'm com- Kathy, I'm going to come to you next for your final thought or two around sustainability before we get into experiential retail and kind of a look ahead after a look back. 
Uh, T-Squared, great to have you back here today. T-Squared holds the fort down for us on YouTube. He says, great nourishment here and definitely segues to reverse logistics, especially when folks are buying for essentials and replacing obsolete items, i.e., to your point, Guy, anything Apple, if nothing has changed. But, Guy, that's a great point. We've been almost trained as consumers that once that calendar flips, we got to have the latest and greatest, even though the older unit is working fine, you know. But hey, there's always challenges as we continue to progress and innovate and things change. All right. So, Kathy, your final thoughts around sustainability, uh, and then we're going to move forward. Well, I mean, I agree with everything, Guy, as well as you've been saying about the whole sustainability more awareness of this, actually having to change the mindset, but also the packaging that these items are, are coming in. I mean, we need to be a little bit more mindful of the packaging. Think of all the cardboard. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's such a great point, Kathy. And I'd like to start a movement. I told, I talked to Amanda, my dear wife, uh, a few years ago about this. Let's eliminate shop wrapping paper, right? Yes. Let's let's move towards. I mean, you can recycle all those boxes from e-commerce or use newspapers. I'm not sure what the most sustainable thing is, but it drives me crazy to yeah. see bag after bag of wrapping paper throughout the holidays. Right, mm -hmm. Juliana. Great comment here via LinkedIn. We as consumers have a great responsibility on the sustainability of the supply chain. I can't agree with you more. And Tony gets a little more specific. Phones are a good example of built-in obsolescence. It's time for phone suppliers to support their products longer. Excellent point. Tony's, Tony's bringing it today. Great to have you. That right to repair conversation will continue to persist really across industry. I think farming equipment and automotives and, and a lot more. Okay. As much as I hate to, Kathy and Guy, I want to move forward to talk about uh, 2022. But before we do, so Kathy and Guy, we, we've invited you to not only uh, bring your perspective today, but also bring your crystal balls and we're going to uh, see what you're thinking and can predict for 2022. But first I got to pull up this graphic here. So Guy, we, uh, our team, our collective team did some digging and you had a really popular blog article uh, back in 2011. I'm going to pull this up here. So Y'all notice I circled, I put a, a very creative red circle around the date, December 13th, 2011. And Guy, that's one heck of a picture. Just when I think Adam's getting the edge on, on greatest hair in supply chain, out comes Guy to remind everybody he is a top contender. But back in December 2011, the top 10, as it's entitled, or make that the top 12 thoughts for supply chain in 2012. This is courtesy of our friends over at Progress. So I didn't pull out all 12 of, of the predictions you made about 10 years ago, Guy, uh, but I, I did pull a couple of them here. Planning is dead, long live, live planning, bi-directional elasticity, yeah. and a lot more. But as you think back, before we look ahead, when you think about the 12 things you, you were talking about 10 years ago and, and how accurate a lot of what you were talking about was, what's one that really comes to mind? Well, you know, one of the sayings I have is you, if you stay around long enough, whatever you say kind of comes true, right? So I'll put that to longevity. Now, it was interesting. Sort of the other thing, I, and this is funny, I, I you know tell my kid this all the time, the internet never forgets, right? So I think this is a valuable <laughs> lesson for that. But one of them that you didn't put up here, which you know, I, I, when I went back, I had to reread them when I wrote, but I think right. one of them was interesting was talking about fulfillment networks, um, fulfillment nodes really taking much more 
responsibility in terms of the data and the analysis. And I think we're starting to see that. You know, my it's interesting if if again I if we look at folks like Shopify, like Amazon, like Walmart, right, who are creating who have created you know sort of fulfillment networks themselves, let alone the three PLs that are out there. I think what you're seeing is that a lot of the value they bring to the table is yes, the physical act of moving product is what they're doing. Yes, but the secondary, which I think is as valuable, if not more, is just the amount of information they're gleaning and they're able to an analyze and look at things like sustainability, right. like efficiency, like heat zones, things like that. I think that's really something we're starting to see much more of now. And, and I'll sort of use a, a, a recent example, sort of on a smaller scale. But, you know, I, I used to work at Six River and, and, you know, we were selling cobots and one of the interesting side products we had, I mean, it's side product, but really one of the interesting uh, spinoffs we had was the amount of data the robots were collecting, you know, during the day, doing the picks, moving around the warehouse. And all of a sudden now you realize, hey, that information is, is hugely valuable, right? To, to use Gartner's term of a digital twin, right? All of a sudden you've got this massive digital twin of your fulfillment or part of your fulfillment node. And now the question becomes, or the challenge becomes, what can I do with that? Right. And I think that's the exciting part that I think we're going to see more and more of. And I do believe, especially in retail, we're going to see more retailers, small, medium, and large, cluster around fulfillment networks that are going to, yes, provide them the ability to do the fulfillment, but also provide them rich insights into what's actually happening on the ground. Because at the end of the day, and again, I'm going to go back to my days at Forrester. I could put up a website, put great pictures and sell you really cool stuff on your phone, on your computer. <laughs> and all of a sudden you tell me, all right, well, how do you get it to me? And you're like, wait, I got to move this stuff? Oh, my goodness. Like that, I thought what? it was just a transaction. That, was, that wasn't part of the equation. Like, no, we can't. No, that, that's someone else, right? And I think that's what we're seeing today, right? Where that, uh, you, you, need that you need the physical ability to move products, but you also need the data to make it that much better when you're doing it. Excellent point. Okay. I'm going to come to you next, Kathy, but quick program note. I skipped right over our experiment, experiential retail observation. So we're going to get that. I was so excited to get to 2022, as many of us are probably, but we're going to get to that after we talk predictions. So y'all stay tuned. And really quick, Chuck says, amen on eliminating wrapping paper. I'm with you. Max says, changing phone chargers always puts me off in buying a new phone. Hey, my three kids, I think we've purchased about 37 phone chargers in the last uh, 18 months. It feels, David says, legacy versus longevity. That's a great, simple phrase. We could have a whole conversation around that. And Russ Thorne, the one and only Russ Thorne is with us here today. He agrees with Juliana's earlier sentiment. He says, I think we can influence the supply chain more as consumers than the government can by mandate. Interesting comment there, Russ. Great to see you. Okay. So, Kathy, any response to what Gide just shared. And then we're going to get both of y'all to give us a bold prediction or two for 2022. Your comments, Kathy. So I printed out Gide's predictions from way back when. <laughs> and yeah, what's not on this list was the one that really hit me. And it was number three. How about that? Floods, earthquakes, and war force companies to rethink their supplier strategy. But at what cost? We can also add to that uh, a certain virus pandemic, you know, pandemics, right. because a lot of retailers are having to rethink their supplier strategy. They're finding out they need to diversify more and perhaps not be as dependent on one particular uh, country. And, um, 
Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, yeah, we've been having that problem after all these Bill, How about that? You're so right. You're so right. And, you know, we're, we're seeing after, I think, a lot of freeze and assessment and analysis, we're starting to see, especially in apparel, those yes. big sourcing decisions uh, being made. I think Turkey, the country of Turkey, has had an all-time high in retail manufacturing, if I didn't see that, if I saw that right last week or two. All right. So, Kathy, I love that. And that's just like me and my Vegas odds. Both of y'all picked your favorite that wasn't on the five that I threw up there. That's why I don't I don't mess around in Vegas, folks. My luck is never good on my end. All right. So Kathy and Gee, now that we've kind of did a look behind, look, look back, and and Gee, what a gosh, some perspective you had there 10 years ago. But let's get one or two bold, fearless predictions for 2022. And Gee, I'm gonna start with you, then we'll go to Kathy, and then we'll talk experiential retail. So, Gee, what are you projecting? For next year so the the big one for me and we've touched upon it a lot through this conversation where i think it's fantastic right and i i look at the retailers and brands i'm calling it the, the three r's they're going to focus on moving forward and that's returns re-commerce and recycling and i think that's going to become a active part of people's business plans moving forward so how do we accept returns what's our policy how do we handle them? Do we outsource it? Do we keep it in-house? And then it's going to be, okay, how do we re-commerce this? How do we put this back in the market? Maybe not in the same form that it comes in, but are there ways I can do things differently with that inventory to get extract more value out of it and to put it back out there? And if I can't, how do I recycle it? And I think we just touched upon the consumer electronics space. I think that's a really good example. Um, now, could they do better? Yes, but I think it's a good start. You know, how do we figure out, you know, how can we break down some of the parts? Uh, how can we break down into the raw materials, things of that nature? And I think the re-commercing part is going to really, of the three R's, uh, be the one that's going to get the most momentum in 2022 and beyond. I think we're starting to see that already. We're seeing some big retailers and brands go out and either purchase or partner with these re-commercing sites or services. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. You know, if you go to like a real reel or folks like that, um, you're seeing that on the luxury side, but I think you're going to see it, you know, go sort of downstream, if you will. And I also think, you know, and, and we, we've gone almost 47 minutes. We haven't brought this topic up. The millennials, <laughs> I think, are going to drive a lot of this behavior where they're going to be, you know, looking for, they'll call it vintage because it sounds cooler than re-commerce. Uh, but I think you're going to see a bigger push for that. So, you know, vintage Levi's jeans, things of that nature. We see Nike do it, right? Where Nike's selling, you know, they have a whole section store dedicated to this re-commercing uh, of their product. So I think we're going to see those three R's uh, for 2022 uh, really take hold and look for um, retailers and brands to not only just give it sort of lip service, but to really put some strategy, uh, some money and some investment, some people behind it. Excellent point. And, and I would just add, whether it's millennials or Gen Z or whatever generations are coming behind, as employees and as consumers and as, as industry leaders, their demands are making global industry better, right? And and, and we love that. Um, so uh, keep making those demands, folks. Kathy, I'm going to come to you next, but really quick, for all the folks in the skyboxes with the comments, appreciate y'all being here today. We'd welcome your predictions for 2022. So drop them in throughout the, the next 15 minutes or so, and we'll try to get those as well. All right, so Kathy, Gee talked about the three R's. What is your fearless prediction for 2022 and beyond? Gay took mine. <laughs> oh, that's okay. We love sharing around here. 
But no, I do believe next year is going to be the year of the returns. Um, we, I think retailers spent last year uh, investing in a lot of technology to link their online presence with their physical presence. Uh, I think there's going to still be a lot more. There, there is a lot more uh, need to invest in technology moving forward. But now that they've kind of got the basics of those, uh, that down pat, I think now it's like, what are we going to do with all these returns? Because we've heard that whole 30% uh, number thrown out for, I have for at least 20 years, you know, 30% of all retail sales are returns. We don't know, but I think next year we're going to find out once and for all how much these returns are costing retailers and us as a society. Agreed. And as Tony Sherota has said, and we've spoken too many times, don't, when you, when you make returns easy, don't be yeah. surprised when folks return things. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So what I want to do is I want to talk about experiential retail just for a second before we make sure folks want to connect with Kathy and Guy. And, 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 you know, we're not going to do this justice in, you know, five minutes here or so, but it's such a, a growing aspect and an expectation really of consumer experience, right? Good old CX that we're going to hear a lot about. You know, as we talked about pre-show, shoe companies, you know, Nike and Adidas have these customized factories that that measure and take into consideration every component you think plays into your the right shoe for you and then those that are on the peripheral you'd never think of. Casper, the mattress company, these mattress wars have been interesting. They're offering nap appointments for folks to come in and give their, their mattress a try. Um, it just reminds me, we finally need to upgrade ours, uh, man and I, we, we've got the dogs hanging out with, I mean, it's, uh, it's not a pretty picture folks, but it's amazing what you do for your canines, right? Uh, our beloved dogs. All right. So let's, I want to get y'all's observations on experiential retail. Guillaume, come back to you first. What's, what's something you're seeing? You know, I think it's an interesting move. Well, not interesting. You know, we, we've seen this, uh, really, I think for the past five, 10, 15 years, which is, you know, how do I bring people into my store and make it more than just a transactional opportunity? Because if it's all a transaction, then I'll just do it online. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing, you know, everybody from Dick Sporting Goods to, you know, Golf Town and folks like that who have really added an experiential part. Hey, try out the climbing wall, try the golf clubs, et cetera. But I think when we look forward, I think what's going to be really important in the experiential side of retail now is going to be wellness and healthcare. So if you look at, you know, companies like CVS, yes, they added mini clinics in there a long time ago. So it's nothing new. But when you think about it, yes, it's a great service to add, but it's also experiential, right? You're bringing people in because, yes, I could do telemedicine, but at the end of the day, you know, if my knee hurts or I need someone to check my throat, I, I got to come in and have that taken care of. And oh, by the way, if I need to pick up, you know, a carton of milk and some eggs or some there, or if I need to pick something <laughs> else up, right, it's there as well. A new a new phone charger, right? A new phone charger or a new phone case. Uh, but I, I look at this expanding from an experiential standpoint. You know, recently Best Buy made an acquisition of of a, of a company in the in the life in the life science healthcare space uh, to bring more of that. Uh, I look at Apple, right? Their Apple Watch, for lack of a better term, is just a portable, you know, EKG blood monitoring system. So all of a sudden, you know, I could see companies like that, retailers like that, expanding their experiential side into the wellness, into the healthcare, uh, into your medical well-being, and then finding a way to potentially drag you or to pull you back into the physical location 
uh, to understand, hey, your EKG said this, you better come in. Well, guess what? We've got a doctor on call uh, at the Apple store. Uh, come in and, and, and come see her. And oh, by the way, pick up that new iPad while you're here. Um, but I think, you know, wellness, healthcare, uh, as much as COVID has shown that we can do a lot through telemedicine, uh, I think that's one area still that, you know, majority of us realize that, you know, telemedicine only goes so far uh, and that I need to actually go see a physical uh, person, a doctor uh, in, in a location. And I think you're going to see retailers and brands, you know, leverage that to bring people in as part of the experience into their stores. That's an excellent point, Guy. And really quick before I come to Kathy. Think of the uh, the blood pressure machine at your local pharmacy. Those have been around for 20 years. I always, those things are never available when I pop into it. That's how popular they are, right? They add that value to that visit. So I think that's a great call out there and prediction and that, and, and uh, observation. Kathy, uh, when it comes to experiential retail, what's an observation on your end? Well, it's really uh, nothing new. Uh, it's, it's just now becoming mainstream. I mean, you know, we were talking before we went live. Uh, me personally, I remember when I was little, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and there's that guy selling the whole Ginzu knives or QVC or something similar to QVC was selling jewelry in the middle of the night. That's all now coming back. And, and I think we also noted how China is so far out, uh, really, in this whole experimental excuse me, retail. Right. And we're just now beginning to catch up with all of that. Yeah, it is all about getting them into the, getting consumers into the stores, trying out stuff. I think it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> I agree with you. But wait, there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Hey, two quick thoughts to add to what y'all have shared here. I think I would argue that experiential retail has been around for for here in the States, at least back to the days of, of Mr. Macy setting up the first uh, big grand store where you could get sandwiches as you shop, you could get tailored suits. There are some other things that uh, Macy's was a trailblazer on. Um, I think the parade, the Thanksgiving right, parade. That's right. I think the tricky part where we're perhaps to your point, Kathy, catching up is that digital side. Yeah. How can we leverage Omnichannel to enhance uh, as well as you know, some new things we are seeing in in, in the uh, the physical side of experiential retail. Uh, so a lot of good stuff there. A couple of quick comments is here. Comments. Diana says influencer culture will bring the millennials. Uh, perhaps there, Diana. Thanks for being here today, Diana. I've loved your comments. Tony says experiential retail uh, becoming more of a virtual experience. Kind of that last point we were just talking about there. And he also adds visibility through data to manage continued disruptions and delays will be key to rethinking the future of supply chains in the short to medium term. Planning for the upturn, and you know there's, there's a lot more coming. We just don't know exactly what they all may be. Planning for the upturn beyond and focus on the customer managing returns sustainably, along with the good points made by Guy and Kathy. Lots of good points here. All right. I should add, as we are, uh, Tiffany says, don't forget the pink pig ride Macy's does in Atlanta in December. <laughs> Tiffany, you know what? They discontinued that. You know, they stopped doing it as a result of the pandemic. And they announced, Kathy, I want to say just a few months back that yeah. it's not coming back. I hate that. I hate did that. Did you ever ride it? I did not. I didn't either. <laughs> I did not. Uh, but, of course, uh, when it made that announcement, you had a chance to go through the the historical annals of, of all the folks that have. And it was a 
certainly a, a traditional aspect of uh, the holidays here in Atlanta. But you're right, never wrote it, so maybe it was time for it to go. So, Gee, let me get back to our famous rock and roll futurist here that uh, was ahead of the times 10 years ago. You are publishing a new look ahead for 2022 with your friends there at Texas. And I believe we've got a link uh, for you that you can sign up and download what Gee's thinking. Does your girlfriend ever want to sign up for what you're thinking, Gee? Uh, no, because she, she hears all the time and then she just kind of rolls over in bed and kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we want to drop that link in the comments now if we could. And big thanks to Amanda Clay and Jada Behind the Scenes making production happen here today. I think we also have it in the show notes itself. Y'all check that out. You can download it for free. Guy, as we're thinking, and I, I know we've kept it a conversation today really focused on e commerce and returns, sustainability. But you and the Texas team are up to big things as uh, you're equipping supply chain greatness, especially holistically, right, in the bigger picture. So any quick comments around what Texas is up to and how can folks connect with you? Yeah, you know, I, I think like all of us, and there's a lot of great service providers out there, I think we're addressing a lot of the issues that are there when it comes to things such as transportation, warehousing, uh, but also order orchestration, right? Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of those functions are the underlying tools you need to address uh, some of the things we talked about. So of course, you know, shameless plug, we're always happy to talk and, and converse more about issues that folks are having and how we can, um, you know, give you some thoughts and ideas about how to solve them. Uh, with regards to, you know, contacting me, obviously find me on, on LinkedIn, Geek Down, very easy to find me there. I don't think there's a ton of us out there like that. You can also find me on Twitter. It's just uh, G-C-O-U-R-T-I-N. Uh, I don't always tweet about supply chain. I, I've been going on a couple of rants about uh, the Red Sox and other sporting events. So uh, I try to provide some entertainment uh, on my Twitter feed as well. You do. You know, it's rare do we say, uh, hey, we're rubbing elbows and, and offering up two great Twitter followers here on the same stream. But really, Kathy and Gee, it is entertaining and informative of your approach to social media. So, folks, check that out. And I don't know anything about hockey, but I know Gee is very passionate about hockey. And I'll add soccer to that list. So uh, y'all jump on there and exchange thoughts with Guy there. And, of course, Texas.com, T-E-C-S-Y-S.com for more information. And it looks like we dropped a link for his fearless 2022 predictions in the comments. Kathy, I'm coming to you next, but i got to add this from Tony. Tony says, was a pink pug, <laughs> pink pig returned to the makers, another victim of unmet expectations. How about that? All right. So Kathy, uh, Logistics Trends and Insights, the Reverse Logistics uh, Association. Uh, you, you've got uh, a lot of really cool initiatives and a lot of research and and, and data um, uh, analytical insights that you offer up. It's one, one of the reasons why you're a great follow on Twitter and beyond. But uh, how can folks connect with you? Well, honestly, Twitter is probably the best way. CM Robertson 06. I'm also on, on um, LinkedIn. And uh, me personally, as well as my little company, Logistics Trends and Insights. Now, don't go to the website because the website's down right now. I'm working. <laughs> I am learning how to update a website. Oh, so man. that's been fun. Um, I'm much better at crashing them than I am at creating <laughs> them. Uh, also, catch me at rla.org. Um, I'm I hang out there a lot. I'm doing a lot more, learning a lot more from, from the great Tony Sharota. And it's 
it's been fascinating. So agreed. And you know, it, uh, as both of y'all, we, we've spoken about this ad nauseum, you know, um, returns and reverse logistics in general, it's only become a, a bigger and more critical field uh, in the years to come. So I really appreciate that aspect of our discussion here today, uh, which reminds me, uh, Supply Chain Now will be at uh, the Reverse Logistics uh, big annual event in Vegas. That's going to be February 6th through the 9th, and you can learn more at rla.org. Krissa, thanks for chiming in today. Great to see you here. She says, great discussion. I see technology-driven decisions and automation driving 2022, but also, unfortunately, as we all know, Supply chain woes will continue as retailers and manufacturers struggle to balance supply and demand. Excellent point. David says, spot on, Chris. Preach, preach, preach. Come on. All right. So Kathy and Guy really have enjoyed the conversation. I can't believe we got in at 62 minutes. We had so much to get through, but really appreciate both of your time here today. Uh, thank you, Guy. Thank you, uh, Kathy. Big thanks to the team behind the scenes, Amanda. Clay, Jada, big thanks to Adam, Becky, and many others uh, that helped make today's production happen. Folks, if you uh, do anything this week, this week, help someone in need, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.